Hello, JJ Meets World listeners. You've picked a great episode because Tucker and I talk about cereal in our intros, which leads into a long conversation about Jaleel White, a.k.a. Stephen Q. Urkel from the show Family Matters. Maybe you've got some like really strict opinions about Jaleel White, but we don't. Also, don't forget Family Matters is a spinoff of Perfect Strangers, and those guys didn't get nearly the money he did for playing a nerd. Also, our big guest today is Matt McGregor. And Matt McGregor is a guy who does so many amazing things. If you've ever seen some of Tucker's film work, odds are he's the man who is behind the camera or helping in some way, shape, or form. He's a dad. He uh, wears booty shorts when you ask him to. And uh, we also talk about... (laughs) about poker tv for really the first time we've had someone else who can talk about poker tv with tucker as well so sit back relax enjoy this episode of jj meets world and go to patreon.com slash jj meets world to support this podcast one two three four jj gordon sort of like that indiana jones in that he's always snipping out his next adventure yes he is he's always interviewing guests so he can have them on his show and they can talk about pop culture arts and leisure jj has his flag unfurled and he likes his french fries curled and he's fun and then he twirls as he goes to meet the world he will march into the rain even if his ankle sprain take a peek inside his brain this podcast is called jj meets Why do they make cereals that are only available for a limited time? It drives me crazy. And I'll give you a perfect example. I would love to eat some of those monster cereals that General Mills puts out. Booberry, uh, Count Chocula, yeah. Frankenberry. Uh, yummy Mummy. Mm. What's the wolf one? I don't know. We have to ask Greg Carlson because that's his area of expertise. Is so our, is Noel Scotch Anderson. Really? We got to get both yeah. those guys. We should do a, we should do a cereal, cereal episode. episode and maybe invite Jeff Knight to come in too and talk about his, I don't know. Listen, if I know anything about podcasts, using just the word cereal, whether you spell it S-E-R-I-A-L or C-E-R-E-A-L, you're going to get some listeners. That's true. You're going to get some listeners. It's going to be big. But you're upset. They don't They don't always offer them year-round because of no. the scarcity, the manufactured scarcity. Yeah. They are crea- they're creating their own lack of supply to up the demand so that by the time Labor Day rolls around, you're like, oh, snap, it's about the cereals. And they do that with other cereal-based products like uh there's a, a christmas themed one that i've only had a couple times where they they look like little trees mm. like it's like a cheerio but it looks like a little tree right or like when lucky charms would have special marshmallows yeah oh i remember a lucky charm campaign when they were going to debut the new marshmallow and they you got a little chart right and then you got stickers that came with the box which all the is time. brilliant because those marshmallows are all the same they're just yep. dyed different colors. Mm-hmm. So you're not getting a new flavor of marshmallow. You're just getting a different shape. I have heard in urban legend about the reason that Lucky Charms became Lucky Charms was the guy who owned the circus peanut factory that made circus peanuts. Yeah. You know what I'm talking yep. about? Oh, yeah. Um, had an abundance and didn't know what to do with them. And so he sold them off to the cereal company. Huh. And they're like, okay, well, we'll take them. And they made circus peanut cereal. And they're like... No one wants fucking circus peanuts cereal. This is <laughs> no one disgusting. wants circus peanuts, and so they chopped them up into little bits, and then they became interesting. What we what we now know is Lucky Charms. You know that you know what that that is not apocryphal. Like that is actually how it happened. Hmm. 
I'm asking oh, you if, oh, if that's what you're. I was. I thought you had another story. No, to tell. no, 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 no. I I'm pretty sure that that's what happened. I'm, okay. I've read it in several places, but who knows? Who knows in the world of marshmallow cereals? I'm willing to accept it as fact for right now. Do you have a favorite cereal? Golden Grams. Golden Grams. Golden Grams. Um, and Golden Grams, I like to eat at night. Actually, not to start the day, but as like an after dinner dessert. That's mm-hmm. how I like to eat Golden Grams. Um, do you? Remember the uh, like a short lived Ghostbusters cereal? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah but, I mean, I'm, if you grew up in the late 80s, early 90s, you saw almost every f- marketable thing made as a cereal at one right. point. Yeah. Urkel and, had cereal, Ninja Turtles had cereal, everyone. Urkelos. Urkelos. <laughs> what? Who did the marketing for Family Matters? Because they were really like Urkel rap CD. <laughs> <laughs> Urkel cereal. Well, they didn't anticipate the zeitgeist, the Urkel zeitgeist. You know what they didn't sell were like Urkel costumes. Right. Which seems like a missed opportunity because just a couple suspenders and low-rise pants. Right. Boom, you're good to go. <laughs> um, poor Jaleel White. Oh, yeah. I feel so bad for that multimillionaire. I feel really I don't bad think for he, him. I don't think he does have multimillionaire. I think that he was- You think was, he managed it poorly? I, I, well, no. I think he was a kid where, like, back in the day, like, you took the job. And, right. And I, I bet you he signed a deal where he didn't get residual rights. He was a young kid when he started on that show. Right. But I, And it's not like the Big Bang Theory where they realize, like, oh, this is going to be huge because at that time- if someone asked for more money, they'd be like, well, we'll just cancel the show. Anything can be renegotiated when you're a powerful star, though. Like, Think once so? he became famous, mm-hmm. once he once everyone wanted Urkel, that is bargaining power right there. You think so, huh? I think so. If he had a good enough agent. and But, I mean, what do you think? Maybe he didn't. I mean, yeah, we're, we have incomplete information. It's mere speculation, the career I'm ups doing and downs a, I'm of doing Jaleel White. Google, Jaleel White's net worth. Jaleel Whiten is an American actor and producer who has a net worth of $10 million. Look at that, multimillionaire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jaleel White is most widely recognized from his role as Steve Urkel on the 90s hit sitcom Family Matters. Yeah, we know I actually this college radio, thank you. don't know where else someone would know Jaleel <laughs> White true. from. Dancing with the Stars, did he ever do that? I don't think so. I feel like he was on reality TV at some point, but meh. He, I think he's popped up in little things, but he definitely does not want to be Urkel anymore. No. Um, and I think that's the thing is once you asso- you're associated with a character, sometimes it keeps going and going and going. Like our guest today right. has formulated a character that, to many people, they don't want to know the man behind the mower. No. But we're going to introduce that today with Matt McGregor. Uh, I start off this in, this podcast in a very aggressive manner. Asking Matt where his name comes from and his heritage. And then we slowly drift into other things, such as Matt's time in Africa, what it's like to be a cameraman, hip-hop, being a father. There's a lot of interesting things that we touch on here. And I think that his statement about what it's like to be a dad is one of the sweetest things I've ever heard about being a parent. Matt's a longtime friend and collaborator of both of us. Collaborator. And and has done a lot of uh, cinematography work uh, for films that we've worked on. And he goes by the name MC Gregor, which I think is a really cool nickname. Like, that is the way you put a nickname together, MC Gregor. So I want want you to listen to this episode, and the thing I want you to take away from it, if I can instruct you to do just that, is... To think about somebody who has all of these skills and knowledge who just happens to be possibly your next door neighbor. 
and remember that everybody's got this unique story. And I'm I'm encouraging people to go out there and have their own JJ Meets World experience and talk to people around them because I learned things about Matt that even though I've known him for more than a decade, I am finding out for the first time ever in this conversation. And if we do that, the world might be just a little bit of a better place. And you might have somebody who you can borrow a snowblower from. Speaking of which, if you're Tucker's neighbors, <laughs> he could really use a snowblow. Yeah, the sun's coming out. It'll <laughs> melt pretty soon. Uh, it is only January. So uh, sit back and relax. Enjoy this episode of JJ Meets World with our guest, Matt McGregor. And by the way, head over to Patreon.com, P A T. R-E-O-N dot com slash JJ Meets World and donate to this podcast if you enjoy it. If you've listened to more than 10 episodes that we put out there for free, come on. I mean, if this were old timey and we were on a date, this is the 10th <laughs> date and you don't, we're not going to get a smooch. Come on now. Come on. JJ Meets World. McGregor, what kind of a last name is that? Um, it's Scottish. I'm yeah. told. I'm, but I'm mostly German. Oh, mostly German, huh? Mm-hmm. And with a little bit of Scott, and yes, with a little bit of Scott. Do you ever threaten uh, rabbits? No, but I actually watched Peter Rabbit this morning. Yeah, what'd you think? I don't know. I was sleeping through most of it. I mm-hmm. basically did it to entertain my kid. Yeah, I've heard not so great things about it from adults, but the kids just love it. Well, there's rabbits. There's rabbits all over the place. It doesn't matter what the plot is. Now now show them Watership Down right after that. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, it's funny. That is, you know, the suggested thing after There's a new one. There's a new one now. Yeah, Netflix. Netflix did, I think. But I haven't watched it yet. It's like a miniseries or something. Okay. What age would he have to reach for him to qualify as Old Man McGregor? Well, I don't think that they say that he's Old Man McGregor. They just call him Mr. McGregor. But Old Man McGregor is sort of like the oh, the, sure. the, the, the societal, thought. it's like the Kleenex, right? It's mm-hmm. like what everyone calls it. So I think probably in your, I think you need any age if you're widowed. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, right? Right. So, <laughs> and then uh, probably I'm going to say 63. You don't think like beard length or anything like that has anything to do with the qualifications for being old man? It it might, but it's we're talking about a shave of maybe like two or three years tops. I mean, how at what point do you think you you become describable as ornery? Hmm. Like you're not I, an ornery person. I've I've right. seen you get ornery, right. but the the circumstances always demanded it. I'm guessing it's going to happen within the next decade. I I can't but pinpoint before your son graduates high school. Probably basically. Around puberty, yeah, is my that guess. makes sense. Yeah. That makes total sense. Yeah, having a kid who has puberty definitely makes you old man. McGregor. I think it does it. It'll, it'll probably so. coincide with him not thinking I'm cool anymore because that'll piss me off. Right, I'll be so angry that I'm not cool anymore that I'll get ornery about it. Right. Can we talk about that moment when you have a child where you realize that you are you've lost touch <laughs> with things that are popular today? So I work with kids at Fargo North High and. I I am so lost when it comes to things that are hip and cool these days. And whenever I have a reference for something, I actually get excited. When they are talking about Bird Box the other day, and I'm like, ah, I've seen Bird Box too. You're like, have you guys seen Captain I America and the First Avengers. I that's I, how I feel. I understood that reference. Yep. When he's like writing things down the next time you see him, whether he's like Star Wars. <laughs> um do you think that there's gonna be a moment? Where that happens, and all of a sudden you realize your your child is more in touch with the zeitgeist than you are. 
Yeah, I'm sure it'll happen. I mean, it's already happened in pop culture and like and other, you know, <clears throat> things that I'm interested in, like hip hop. There are a lot of of, uh, of things that I'm not in touch with anymore at all, just because you don't have the time to follow up on. You it. don't have the time, and you know, you get stuck in in your your roots. You know, you what do they say? You love the music you love when you're 19 because it's it's what you came up with and what what you what grew up with you. I guess. Right. So what was the music when you were 19? Uh, well, 19, I guess, was... that was Or I tr- guess you don't have to <laughs> use the exact date, but what was the music you came up with? Right, so ni- so around 19, that was the transition period, I guess. Um, before 19, I was into... I, I, I was into whatever my parents listened to in the car, which happened to be like the 20 tapes that they owned, which were Garth Brooks and Tom Petty. and I was going to say Garth Brooks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everyone so, has that album where he's wearing the black and white checkered shirt. That one. There's, is that the blue and black one or the red yeah, and black one? Because those, those are the two I remember, blue and black and red and black. Yeah, my mom just rocked the soundtrack to The Bodyguard. <laughs> That's pretty much what we had. Yeah. So, But when I ver- ventured out into my own, it was... I, I was introduced to hip hop from my cousin, and it was uh, Tupac, Me Against the World, <clears throat> that was the first thing that that was like not my parents that I really got into. Um, and then another album by a, a hip hop artist called Ahmad that is not as well known, but um, very instrumental in, in like in my musical tastes. Then when we get to nineteen, the transition period. Most of my friends were into like metal. They were into uh, Sepultura and Metallica and stuff that I wasn't really interested in. But previous like, podcast guest was. Tony Magnol, yeah, all metal episode. Um, so I kind of I kind of took their interests and my interests and m- melded them together into what was popular at the time. You know, the rap rock, so Limp Bizkit and Corn and that type of stuff. That was my nineteen year old stuff. Which I still have a soft spot in my heart for, but I have, <clears throat> I after that I got into hip hop way more. Okay, tell me, uh, tell me what's on your your phone right now. Like, what are you what are you listening to right now? Hmm. Well, I mean, mostly podcasts right now, but like, I guess Good I answer, just but I we'll just talk about music. Just downloaded. Uh, what was it? Here, let me look. Matt pulls out his phone and uses his right hand to swipe with his thumb. <laughs> uh, I just downloaded Anderson Pox Oxnard because I'm told it's the best hip hop of the year. I haven't had the time to listen to it. I did just listen to Logic's new album, um, which has this amazing track with like all of the members of the Wu Tang Clan. So that's that's the new stuff I've been getting into. Um, but like you know, the oldies, Eminem, I will always go back to. Um, I've actually gotten into Flo Rida quite a lot. <laughs> I, listen, I like Flo Rida. I really do. I wanted so much to fun. take advantage of it when he had his phone number public for a little bit, mm-hmm. and he was encouraging fans to call him. This was years ago. I wasn't a fan, but I was like, I kind of want to call this guy. But I think there was like a 20% access rate from yeah. people, get, which is actually pretty high if mm-hmm. you think about it. I don't know what I would have asked him, though. Been like, I what's what's up? Right. So, uh, so I, oh, yeah. I have actually have a question about rap music and that dovetails with the fact that you're a relatively new father. Mm-hmm. Um, how how long have you been a daddy now? Uh, Beckett is two years old. He okay. turned two in o- October. So the question then is, how much of the music that you like to listen to do you make sure he is not exposed to because of like curse words and stuff that a lot of parents 
get upset about. I mm-hmm. know that my parents never would have played uh, Biggie or anything around me when I was a kid. So how how are you planning on navigating those waters? Well, um, I guess once I get to that river, I will figure that out. At this point, I don't censor anything, I guess, myself included, which um, I think we're getting to the point where like he has started repeating the words, the the swear words, you know, <laughs> shit. When your wife morning. is a ch- is like a child psychologist, isn't she? Or uh, um, she's a family uh, and yeah, child and family therapist. Right, yeah. right, right. So, yeah, I definitely need to start that. Like, it, it's getting to the point where he will be repeating these things at daycare, and it might become a problem. So, um, yeah, I guess I'll have to censor that, and I and and we will. Um, I don't think I'll censor it. A lot. I still feel like I'm, I'm probably not going to introduce him to the more violent songs that Eminem would do, but you know, maybe, maybe some of the earlier ones were yeah, like a little uh, little rapper's delight, the, maybe the pop, the pop, fun one. poppy ones, yeah, yeah. Uh, real Slim Shady, I think, is what he's talking about. Yeah. Oh, not rapper's delight, not Sugar Hill Gang. <laughs> uh, the have you guys ever heard the story songs? behind the Sugar Hill Gang? And like no. how they became like a group. No, but I've now discovered how it is you've you come up with the naming convention of naming things the something gang. <laughs> well, but that's what they are. Uh, no, I know, oh, I know. Oh yeah, yeah. But earlier today, <laughs> yeah, that's true. You and I were talking, that's and true. you just came up with like the carrot gang, yeah. or the hot dog, hot gang. dog that's gang. That's what it was. <laughs> so the Sugar Hill Gang. This is at a time when like, kind of like that rap and that hip hop sound didn't exist, like. It, except for in a little underground clubs, it was just starting to become a thing. And so this woman who was a, a pretty, you know, famous record producer at the time and had had some hits herself, <clears throat> heard these guys freestyling in a basement somewhere. And she was like, oh, my God, we got to capture this. And so she went and she met with this club manager who was the one who was organizing all of these uh, hip hop artists. And she's like, I want to make a record. And he's like, that's the whole point of this movement is not selling out to corporate thugs like you. And she's like, well, shit. So she finds her nephew, and her nephew's got a connection to a guy named Pizza Mike. And Pizza Mike is one of these hip-hop, like, he just he's tossing dough. And he's, like, he's really good with his words and his rhymes and stuff like that. And so she grabs Pizza Mike, and she's like, I want to make a record. Do you, you know, and know anybody else? And he's like, sure, I got some other friends. We'll make a record. So Rapper's Delight is a super long song. I want to say it's like eight minutes long, mm-hmm. I think. And because no one believed in this record, they only had one take available. And so the <laughs> Sugar Hill Gang Rapper's Delight that we have come to love was done in a single take with audio engineers who had never worked with a music style in this way and then became just massively huge. I also think those guys got dicked out of almost all the royalties to it. <laughs> Probably. But uh and so they and I and everyone to my understanding like who was in the world of hip hop at the time heard this thing and they were like, "Oh my god, this is garbage. This is the chucky e. cheese of what we're trying to do here." But it ushered in like popularity like radio stations liked it so they could play it and that led to the furthering so pizza mike sounds like the name of the host of a children's show yeah choo choo bob pizza yeah. Mike. yeah 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 <laughs> uh matt what was it like in africa it was it was hot <clears throat> tell um, us why you went to africa. Had some context to that 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 one uh 
I went and shot a documentary with uh, Deb Dawson and her crew for African Soul American Heart when it was just getting started. Um, and so we went over there with minimal equipment. We had, there were three of us that went and we were going to go interview people in Kakuma refugee camp in um, Kenya and then go to South Sudan to interview people in the village of uh, some, one of the, one of the lost boys who uh, lived in Fargo at the time and was trying to, you know, build something. Um, so he, he wrote the book um, that sparked all of this, um, this movement. So we went over there, we shot a documentary. We were over there for a couple weeks, um, right around Christmas, like, man, what, that was a decade ago. A long time ago. Were you, you were still <clears throat> shooting everything on tape, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. We were shooting everything mini on mini DV. Yep. HD. And we should also add that Deb Dawson is JJ Gordon's aunt. Yeah. Who we have not yet had as a guest on this we show. We haven't. <clears throat> we'll have to rectify Segway. that. She came to Santaland three times, though. So yeah, she did. She and Brent Brandt, I think, are tied for <laughs> most views of that. Brent Brandt, Brent Brandt. <laughs> um, so what's Af- what's Africa like? Because in my mind, I don't know if you ever saw the movie The Air up there with Kevin Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I- that's kind of what I think of. <laughs> Okay, what was the plot? Re- refresh me. The air up there is Kevin Bacon is a disgraced uh, like basketball agent, or like sports agent, uh-huh. and he goes to Africa to find the next great NBA star, okay. and he does, but he has to become part of the tribe to be included. Right. And then it culminates, if I remember correctly, that they have to, like, there's a warlord who doesn't want this guy to leave to go to America, and so they have to have a basketball game between the Warlords team. Pretty much the idea of like Space Jam five years before Space Jam was a thing. So but with Kevin Bacon. But with Kevin Bacon. And to become part of the tribe, they have to like slit open your stomach. And so he's and he's a former player, so that he's playing in the end game. They're like, You're not part of the tribe, and he shows his big scar. That was not the movie I was thinking of. The movie I was thinking of, I think it was Reese Witherspoon, and she had to like cross a desert with a local tribesman after some kind of battle with local militia. Yeah, so, like Good Gone Life or something like that. Something yeah, like yeah. that. What about, yeah. w- w- Never mind. <laughs> cool <laughs> Runnings was set in Jamaica. <laughs> yes. I was going to say White Men Can't Jump, but I'm getting my basketball movies confused. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's Woody Harrelson yep. and uh, Wesley Snipes yep. set in America. Yep. Rosie Perez as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's a good one. So, what is Africa like? What we see in the the movies? Uh, so, I mean, you know, it's a huge continent, so obviously portions of it are. Um, I was not in anything that would be considered like a lush jungle. I guess we were in the desert, um, but like in Nairobi, uh, it's it's interesting how like village life and big city life mix in Africa, I guess, was the was the thing that, that I noticed the most is at when you're in like a huge city, you're still seeing like goats walking around the street in in the in their downtown area. And then when you're in uh, you know, a little village with mud huts, there you're like we walked by these kids listening to a radio and fifty cent was playing. 
So it's like the mixture of of urban and extremely rural was that was really striking to me. Any baboons holding up baby lions? No, <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't see any cliffs like that or anything. No, I there wasn't a ton of wildlife besides goats and cows that I yeah. saw. Um, I, I was I think there were some giraffes off in the distance at one point, but I mean it was it was. Besides being in the big cities, it was just desolate and dusty. And I mean, there were trees, but they weren't like green or anything. And right away, you injured yourself too. I did on the first day, yeah. Well, not on the very first day uh, of being in Africa. The first couple of days, we were in Nairobi, the bigger city. Um, but as soon as we got to Kakuma Refugee Camp, which is enormous and just crazy, um, I. I was shooting and I was following Deb because, well, Deb and Joseph. Joseph is the lost boy that we we followed. <clears throat> um, so I'm I'm walking backwards because I want to make sure I have them in the shot, and that's what you do as a camera guy. I'm not sure if you knew that. Um, but oh, as, <laughs> oh, that's interesting. As that I'm walking down. backwards, I step into a little like hole, and my ankle twists, and I hear a pop, and. I feel like, oh crap, I just screwed this whole thing up and now I have a broken foot and what did, you know, what did I do to derail this project that we spent a lot of time and money and effort and in in you know coming over here to do and th- I screwed it up. So yeah, I I broke my foot. Um but it was it was it was pretty minor I found out later. Um it was just like the tendon that attaches to the side of your foot pops off which I did to myself in college as well on my other foot. Um, but, you know, you, you don't know that when you're in the middle of a refugee camp and away from every doctor that, you you know, you might be able to trust, which we did end up going to a doctor on the refugee camp and he gave me some ointment for it. Just just rub this on there, it'll be fine. <laughs> which I think was just Vaseline as I look back <laughs> on it. But I got an ace bandage, which helped, you know, keep it tight, which I just limped on it for the rest of the time. That's fun. For a couple of weeks. Yeah, for a couple of weeks. Ugh. Ugh. No, thank you. And then you ended up with a, a nice little documentary at the end of it. Yep. And a world-class experience. Yeah, it was an awesome experience. Very humbling. Um, and yeah, we, we made the documentary that uh, sparked uh, a, f- a huge fundraising campaign that Deb is still you know undergoing today. Um I haven't been a part of the project since that very first documentary, but I've been following it, and she's doing some great work. So I remember sitting with you in the Cass County Public Health Building on November 1st uh, as we were hearing about, okay, well, you're getting ready for a trip to Africa. Here are the drugs that you need to take. And do you remember the conversation about the malaria medication? Yeah, there were nightmares involved. Yeah, you could do one of two things. Number one is you could take these pills that you would take 30 days before, 30 days or while you're there, and then 30 days after. Or you could get this shot, but the shot is going to make you ill for like six days and you're going to get sick and it's almost like a mini version of malaria. And I was like, well, I don't want to get sick for six days. That sounds awful. Plus, I was super hungover from a Halloween party at Tucker's house. So (laughs) in my mind, I was like, why wouldn't you do the pills? And I go, just so you know, the pills give you horrific nightmares. (laughs) What did you end up going for? 
I feel like I did the shot because I, I feel like pills aren't for me, but I do not remember actually. Because I remember somebody started on the pills and then maybe a week later said, nope, nope, I'm, I'm switching over the shot because the dreams are like sawing off like my loved one's heads. Oh my God. Yeah, they are super realistic, super Damn. horrific. In fact, I can't, I can't remember who it was, but they said they woke up crying three nights in a row, like just having these horrific dreams. <coughs> and all of that is supposed to be better than malaria. So <laughs> I don't know. I've never had malaria, so I couldn't tell you. I don't remember, but I do remember having a dream. And I had it while we were sleeping in the refugee camp. <clears throat> so I'm assuming maybe I was on the pills if, if I kept having the dreams. But I, I had a dream about this like mechanical dragonfly who was after me. And he ended up attaching his... what. Probos, proboscis, yeah, proboscis? The, the entail thing, into me and like burrowing itself into my skin, and that was pretty intense. <laughs> Damn. Oh, mm-hmm. sounds like a Guillermo del Toro movie right there. Yeah, I should have made it. Yeah. Um. So, uh, you've also you you've been the the cameraman extraordinaire on a couple of different things that I've had the real honor of being <clears throat> a part of some forty eight hour film project things. What's it like being the man behind the camera? I've always liked it. Um, it's, I don't know. I don't know what it is about it. I just enjoy trying to capture, you know, a vision um, through the lens. Uh, I think the the most fun that I had was <clears throat> the tw- the forty eight hour project that we did. That was all one take, where we're yeah, that was running around the basement. Delivered. It's just the challenge, especially the forty eight hour. The the challenge of getting it done in that amount of time. Yeah, when when we had our old 48-hour team that Greg Carlson and I would put together, every time we do it, we'd go, what's a new way we can challenge ourselves? Or what's a way we haven't done something before? And then we hit upon the idea of doing a one continuous take so that basically, instead of having a bunch of post-production, you have a bunch of pre-production. And this was still on mini DV tape. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't have fancy equipment or anything. And so <laughs> basically, Matt wore a backpack that we duct taped uh, a, D, a like a DVD player too, like one of those travel DVD players that has a monitor on it, and then connected that to his camera so I could see what he was what he was seeing, and then we basically just for like a day and a half just continued to reblock and over and over again with these actors, and then we probably did four or five different takes of it. Yeah, I think. Yeah, sounds about right. But it was fun. Yeah, it was, it was a lot, lot of fun. fun. I loved it. If you, I don't know if either of you have seen this, but. <clears throat> A lot of phlegm in my. Let's <laughs> all just. <laughs> oh, me too. <clears throat> There's a Woody Harrelson made a movie that took place in real time recently, and it was being live streamed as was they were filming it. And it was like, was that? Was it 24? No, because it wasn't 24 hours. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't like the Kiefer Sutherland right. thing. It was about. It was based on a true story about one night he had in London. And the movie is just insane to think that they're doing this all. And it's all over London. So there's scenes that take place in taxi cabs. But if the taxi cabs hit any kind of traffic, they're going to be screwed. So they had to make this thing at like 2.30 in the morning when there'd be the lightest amount of people out there. Mm. It is nuts to watch it. And there's only one part that didn't go as planned. And it's this, he's she's supposed to be on the phone, like on an actual phone, and a a guard in this jail is supposed to say something to him, but he the guard just kept walking by and forgot a line. 
And so Woody just is like, come on, come on, let's let's go. Let's, and like talking into the receiver about like, come on, because it's just ringing and ringing and ringing. And so finally this guy remembers his line and comes back. And Woody Harrelson talks about like, it's the longest 15 seconds of my entire life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the the There's a movie called Russian Ark mm-hmm. that is a, just gorgeous. And... That that's one. If you look it up, they it's a movie in one continuous take. They shot it in like the National Russian Museum. I forget what it's called. And the whole premise is that you're basically following this sort of uh, because he's kind of a time traveler or a traveler out of time, maybe who is moving through the museum and sort of reliving Russian history. And uh, the way that they had like they had a finite amount of time that they that the national they were museum shooting, would let yeah, them do the it. Yeah, the museum, right? Yeah. yeah. I actually just listened to a podcast on this that so was pretty funny because the podcast wasn't about like the the movie necessarily, but it was about this one guy who screwed up the shot in the orchestra scene. Like he looked straight <laughs> into the camera. Yeah. So well so that they had to do is they said, you know, for the first like thirty minutes, if we make a mistake, that's when we can correct it. But we only have so many times we can do that before we, we have to just go with it. And they used up every retake they could. So they, the take that they ended up using, which was the last take that they did, was the last take that they could do, which I thought was really interesting. And uh, but it the the effect of it though is unbelievable. You, it it's like you're in a dream. And my favorite part of the movie is towards the end, where I think either an opera or a play or something has happened, and this everyone who is there in attendance, who are all like the the aristocracy of Russia at the turn of the 20th century or before, they're all just leaving, right? And so the camera's just going through this massive crowd of people who are leaving at the end of a show. And I, you, you get the feeling that you are there at that time period seeing what it must have been like for a large crowd of people to go home after a show in, in Russia. It just, it it's awesome. And if you get a chance to watch it, you should watch it. Of the continuous take things that are out there, that would be towards the top. What's the um, what's the weirdest thing that you've ever had to shoot, where you thought, well, this is this is the culmination, mm. or like a position that you've had to get in for it? Like I think of in Citizen Kane, he wants that shot where from the ground up, where it just makes you know Kane look enormous. And they're like, well, we can't get the camera any lower unless we were to open up the floor. And then at like three o'clock in the morning, he takes an axe and breaks out the floor and then has it jackhammered down so he can lower the camera in there because he was nuts. Have you ever done that? (laughs) No, I have not done that. Matt's had to like film like significant others hardcore making out with people. Like he's had to record things that would be just emotionally difficult challenging but he's a trooper yeah but that was with Rezel and it just like didn't bother me as much as yeah, Matt was dating <laughs> Rezel at the time <laughs> and, and guest uh, Mike Rezel uh right well you mean you've been in a pool yeah so yeah, I guess the things that I would be thinking of are just like the extremes like the pool is not an extreme but I would maybe yes, I was in a pool Africa was pretty extreme um but you get used to it you know you get used to the the warmth but like you know being outside in the in the cold or in a lake in September when it's freezing I'm trying um, to think of like what poker situations that you may have been in well yeah i guess i can't really think of anything that would be like a crazy crazy setup yeah i can't think of anything off one, the top of my head since you're both here one thing that i would find just so tedious that i'd want to tear my own teeth out 
when producing poker television, you know, there's the thing where they show the cards to the little cam. At one point, doesn't that just become monotonous and just like, oh, my God, I just don't care anymore? Because you don't show every single hand, do you? No. Not but you close. have to watch and record every single hand. Yeah, but the watching and recording every single hand isn't... <clears throat> It's not that monotonous for most people um, because there's a crew of people on headsets and you're all having fun. Um, it's the people having to watch those hands that, that like there's one guy taking notes on the hands, making sure that we have all the information on the bets. Yeah, it probably gets tedious for him, but he's also really into poker. He's a special so, kind of guy to like be into that. Though. Yeah, yeah. So poker players love ingesting poker. They don't care how monotonous it gets. They don't want to watch the edited show. They want to watch the entire live stream of every hand and know all, know all the information. They are, you know, masochists in that way, I guess. If you like, if you like something enough, like a game, you'll watch people do that thing. You just will. Like if if something yep. has people who like to play it, that's why it Twitch has exists. people who like to watch it. Yeah. Okay. Just, that's so just let me ask is. this. Do you both love poker so much that you want to watch the whole unedited thing? No, no absolutely no, not. No, no. So that's my point here is that like... It's not for us though, right? Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, it'd be like, for example, I am not a fan of mustard. So at no point am I ever going to open a mustard store where I have to be knowledgeable about mustard and tell people about <laughs> mustard and organize mustard tastings. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I guess... It's it's not poker that keeps me going with that. It's it's like there's a lot of fun shit that happens on the table. Like the people at the table are having a ton of fun. And like I said, when we're doing this, there's a group of people that I really enjoy being with that we are we're having fun with outside of the poker. Are there any rules as to what people are not allowed to wear at a poker table? Like, for example, I noticed like hats and sunglasses are very popular. But like what if I showed up like with a really big wig? Nah, we'll do it. Yeah, it's it's logos basically would be the only thing logos and and vulgarity. Oh really? Yeah. Did, does anyone swear like it's the 1920s? Like ah raspberries. <laughs> Not like the 1920s. You know? Yeah, they're, they're oh, pretty modern with their swearing. Ah fudge. <laughs> <laughs> um, that really toots spoon my raspberries. <laughs> I had uh, I had some friends who were Mormon growing up, and they would say frump. Instead of the F word. And I used to argue with them that from, like, you're using, it's, who cares what the word is? The intention you're is there. using the same intention with it. So I don't think that you should even be allowed to say frump. Hmm. You shouldn't be able to express anger using a word that begins with F. No frump, no fudge, no sheesh. No, no, that. Or, or cheese and rice instead of Jesus Christ. I say <laughs> like, cheese and crackers. Cheese and crackers. Yeah. Oh, ah, cheese and crackers. Cheese. Oh, My dad goes cheesel. Yeah, which is so <laughs> oh, weird. Oh, cheesel. I was like, do you mean like the actor? <laughs> like, are you trying to say his name? Uh, G- so I know one movie that you did with Tucker where you were in front of the camera is First Mo, mm-hmm. which is probably one of my favorite things that you've ever made, Tucker. It's my favorite thing that I've made. Um. Give us the details of First Mo. First Mo is a movie about me in short pants mowing my lawn, I guess, and that, loving it, mowing my lawn. That was in 2010 when I did the movie a month challenge. And this is literally how this happened. So it's April. So I'm now on my fourth month. April's almost done. I haven't shot anything. I'm at Heartland Poker Tour working, 
and I'm talking to Matt and Matt jokingly goes, well, I'm planning on mowing my lawn later today. Do you want to come and film me? And I said, I do. (laughs) And then as soon as he said that, I wrote like an outline, just like a guide for like a, like a documentary about a guy who mows the lawn. And then we just shot it like that afternoon and Matt happened to have short shorts. And he's like, should I? Don't I even remember why I had those shorts. Yeah, but shorts. you were like, should I wear these? And yeah. I said, yeah, you should. And then you wore your Fabio shirt that had, it's like a, a yep. the, the image of it's, Fabio oh. getting hit in the face by the bird. He's got the bloody yep. nose from uh-huh. the bird strike. From the roller coaster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, we ended up just like uh, shooting it. And that, we just shot a documentary style. And I just interviewed Matt. And he just improvised everything that he said. It's great because it's about a guy who's obsessed with mowing his lawn, and this is the first time he's able to mow it after waiting a whole winter. And so there's such a – what I like about it is I know that guy. I know a hundred of those guys who that's their – that's their release, Mm -hmm. and they're the master of their domain, and their domain just happens to be an eighth of an acre of grass. (laughs) And we we named him after our coworker, Mark Schlater, and uh, – that's not so. Our Mark Schlater, played by Matt, has has a lot of faults that you find that he's not necessarily aware of, like the fact that you know he lives with his girlfriend, but the way they divvy up the the household duties is completely unfair. <laughs> she takes care of everything, including changing the light bulbs, making sure the TV's been turned off, and other things like that. And he takes care of mowing the lawn, mm-hmm. and he sees thing. he sees this as an equitable distribution, mm. and uh, a lot of the humor comes from that. When I was a kid, uh, we had a lake place on Lake 7, which is right by Lake 5 and 6. I don't know if there was a Lake 8. So to get there, it's right between Vergas and Frazee, Minnesota. And there, I used to tell people, you take a left at this pink house that has a perfect lawn. And so we called it the perfect lawn guy. And I think this guy was a plumber somewhere in the lakes area. But his lawn was his favorite thing. And it was the most brilliant shade of green you've ever seen. He'd go out there when he'd get weeds, and he would clip the weeds with a small scissor and then take a Q-tip and daub that into Roundup and then paint the leaves and then paint where you know the, the open part of the stem was. And then the next day, go out and remove it. So once it knows it's been killed down to the roots, he'd remove it. I mean, this guy loved and babied his lawn and was out there. He mowed it four or five times a week and always in different directions so that the blades were always getting a different, like, cut side. It was the perfect lawn. I think that's what Mark Schlater in the movie thinks he's doing. Right. <laughs> but yeah, but... Failing <laughs> at it. But he, yeah. he feels that he is one with his Briggs and Stratton yeah. Rally 20-inch. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he feels like the, the two become one and that he can feel the, the divots in the grass. Yeah, it's and, not just becoming one with the mower. It's becoming one with the lawn. Right. And the <laughs> and the turf underneath it, you know. We've brought the Mark Schlater <clears throat> character back if, like a couple times. Like, we, we did one called First Snow, which was another movie a month thing, which was really like a... A small part of a longer story. We shot some footage what was for it, one rocket ship. No, it was for um, it was the Neo Sapien. So Neo oh, Sapien right. Part One, um, and uh, we also shot some footage for we we thought might be called First Fall, but we never really I, just you raking leaves basically. I still have that footage, mm. but now I kind of want to revisit the character and do Last Mo. So it's the last Mo he's going to get in for the summer, mm-hmm. and he's dealing with the uh the depression that's about to set in and his life has changed his girlfriend finally left him you know and and he's he's living in a different place 
but he's still the same. And uh, yeah, even in, in First Snow, we show that he wants to mow the lawn even in the middle of winter. So he's scooped out a part of the lawn and then he's trying to mow it in the middle of the night. And so his girlfriend entices him back inside with uh, pork chops. Pork chops, chops yep. <laughs> Favorite meal. <laughs> Shout out to Tierney Michonne, too, for some of the most brilliantly improvised lines in that in that movie. About pork chops? Not just pork chops, but also we, like, I didn't go, I didn't say, hey, Tierney, here's your motivation. Here's what's going on. I just started asking her questions and she got it immediately. And then, like, uh, she was drinking out of an oversized cup of coffee and was brilliantly conveying the 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 life of quiet desperation her character was leading while living with Mark Schlater. Are do you have your movie a month stuff available? Like, can people still find that and watch it? Um, you know, all of my stuff I think is currently offline right now. I haven't it, just because the my website Moonbase Maria I have not had up for a long for a long time. So I need to get back on doing that. But I will definitely link you should, first because mo. you could get some really great views out of this right. across, the, I think across the board. I, th- I think now I'm getting to the point where a lot of those, I'm going to make them secret movies that you have to know me to get access to them. Because a lot of them are pretty embarrassing and bad. Like, bad. But First Mo is one that I would continue to send out to film festivals yeah. even today. I like it so much. Uh, now, here's something I'm curious. Matt, you seem to be a pretty organized guy. Like, if you're going to do something, like it's going to get finished. But that's not what Tucker does. <laughs> Tucker will shoot stuff and then hold on to it for five or six years. And then finally, like, one day I'll get a text message being like, hey, I finished Little Donkey. Yeah, today. that's nothing like you at all, right, Matt? No, not at all. Yep. I haven't Matt- shot something back in 2003 that's not finished at all. <laughs> oh, you have? Huh? Or anything? Oh, no, the, no, that's not me. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about some of these projects. The Unfinished Works. <laughs> oh, boy, man. You're, you're talking about buddy movie, right? I'm talking about buddy movie, yeah. yeah. Um, not right, the whale movie. Right out of college, I had the bright idea to... Uh, make a movie with my friends uh, Aaron Baker and Tony Magnol and Jeremiah Provorce uh, were the the major proponents of this, and w- it was, I was assuming I was going to be the next Kevin Smith. Like this was going to be the thing that like propels my post college career into, you know, right into stardom. And so we wrote this feature length movie called Buddy Movie that we were going to shot that we were going to shoot in our hometown, and we. We had Jamestown. We had two weeks to go do it. We went and shot for two weeks straight. We we laughed, we cried, we fought, and we thought we had something really good. And then uh, we get back, and motivation um, kind of lacked. I mean, I, I got all I got all the footage organized, so I am organized in that way. Mm-hmm. But then when it actually came down to editing it, um, that kind of really stopped immediately, and. I've revisited it over the years, and so yeah, that was 2003 about that we shot it, and what is it, 15 years later? Yeah. It might be halfway edited. Yeah, to I be, always think that I'm going to go back to it. In, all, in, pieces, in all fairness, JJ, I have one uncom- uncompleted project on my plate right now. He has two. Oh, let's just, oh my. Let's just put it that way. I have one. He has two. Although, the whale project is really on Greg's plate, so really I should say Greg has one. You have one. Yeah. I have one. Did Flight of the Ticklebee ever get finished? Greg has two. <laughs> Greg has two. Oh, man. That's a good one, too. So, and he, so they did make an edit of it, but it's not like the completed finished one, I think. And we'll find out if, if uh, we'll talk about that when the mics are off for oh, a couple of reasons. Good. That's good. For sure. So, one thing that I think is something that I always respect from people is that 
I have a lot of friends who say, this is a great idea. Wouldn't it be fun if we do this? And they riff on it. And they're, it's a brilliant idea. But I know it's never going to go anyplace. Like all of our friends that have come up to us saying, here's a great idea for a podcast. Yep. You, you guys should do it. No, yep. you should do it. Yeah. Why don't you? Trust me, we're putting out two episodes a week. It is tedious <laughs> yeah. to do that. Um, but I have a lot of respect for the people who go out there and make it. And that's one thing that your your group of friends, I guess, collaborators have put together is like you guys have a nice stack of things that you've done and it's you've created. And so even though Buddy Movie isn't fully edited and finished, you still went out there and shot it. You wrote it. You took the time to like make something. And who knows? Maybe at some point someone will have community service and they'll be assigned <laughs> to edit this movie and you will be the next Kevin Smith. Only don't make that Bruce Willis and Tracy Morgan buddy cop movie because that thing was just garbage. Or make it, but do it right this time. Get it right. Um, as far as buddy movie goes... Have you shot the whole thing, or are there still scenes that need to be filmed? I remember when we shot it, we knew that there were some pickups that we wanted that, like, just like cutaways of uh, a punch clock being punched. You know, we didn't have access to a punch clock at the time, so something like that. But I just feel like at this point, it's in the can. There's a movie in there. If I'm going to edit it, we're not going back to shoot anything. Like, it's 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 ready to go, and... I mean, it's it's on a hard drive. I can I could sit down and edit it um, whenever I want. I do have a really nice Panasonic Mini DV camcorder. So if you need to shoot any more Mini DV okay. footage, and I've got a bunch of unused tapes, I have the camera still that we shot. Oh, it nice. On. See, yes. and I was gonna ask because wouldn't that be difficult to try and match up part of that? Like, you I would just love use to any see camera. Old older Matt. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, scenes. we we could pull a Wet Hot American Summer and. And bring in, you know, our older characters and mix it in seamlessly. <laughs> <laughs> or, or the Indiana Jones fan film you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, Raiders, <laughs> uh, where they finally, like, get the money to make it, but now they're all in their mid-40s. Um, Matt, what do you think it's like being a father? You got a two-year-old now? I got a two-year-old, yeah. You're, you're just plopping them in front of the TV so that they can watch Peter Rabbit while you snooze a little bit. Just in the morning, yeah. Just in the morning. Uh, yeah. No, fatherhood is fun, and fatherhood is frustrating. Um, it takes you know, it takes an hour and a half to two hours to get the kid to sleep every night. So it's, it's, it's me pulling my hair out. But, you know, at the same time, you know, as soon as he finally puts himself down, like there's nothing better than seeing that cute little innocent face, like just being you know, himself. Um, and, you know, obviously kids have their funny moments. Um, just last week we went out to have sushi and he, we sit down and he's, the first thing he does is he pours the soy sauce into his little snack cup. And we didn't notice it happening because we're <laughs> organizing ourselves and we're getting ready to like, we're looking at the menu and the table next to us all of a sudden look like says something like soy sauce. And I, I look over and Oh, there's like an inch of soy sauce in his little cup, and the soy sauce is running all over the table and under the floor. <laughs> and that happened in like 30 seconds that I just happened to not be looking at him. And then, you know, later on in the in the meal, we thought he didn't like um, broccoli, so he's where we picked one of the pieces of broccoli up off his plate, the tempura broccoli, and. <clears throat> my wife says, Mama, eat it. And he's like, no, Beckett, eat it. <laughs> it's like, you know, the whole restaurant hears it. And it's a little, it's a little bright spot, you know, in, in the middle of a, a 
regular meal. So, I mean, it's, it's super fun. You know, you get to see the world a different way. We go sledding, we go swimming, and it's it's all more fun than it's ever been. So, yeah, it's awesome, but it's also frustrating. Yeah. Will you be able to convey that frustration to Beckett when he's 25 years old? Like, and he's give like, it back? Yeah. I hope so. Be like, <laughs> Be like, Beckett, guess what? You're going to come with me to the hardware store for the next 25 hours, just over <laughs> and over and over again. In fact, we're going to go to three hardware stores just today. Does he like you or your wife more? Who does he like better? Uh, me. No. <laughs> yes. I'm guessing Katie doesn't listen to podcasts. That's She yeah. might listen to this episode. <laughs> um. No, he doesn't. He doesn't love me better. He just the the one thing is when we're reading books, like he he's gotten used to me reading books and like putting him to sleep. So that's 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 the thing, like right there. But you know, he'll yell for mama and and daddy all all the same. What kind of books are you reading? Um, well, uh, Llama Llama Red Pajama is yeah. a, one of his favorites. Uh, Pirates in Pajamas. Um, a lot of PJ based books, huh? PJ based books. Do you do the silly voices? Uh. Yes, but not when he's going to sleep because you have to calm him down. Oh, that's a good point. I would like to write a book about diabetes for children where the pancreas is talking to his good buddy, the liver, and he's so tired. and He's like, I just don't think I can make any more insulin. And it's to teach children about diabetes, but at the same time, I'm going to also illustrate it, and I don't know how to draw. So I'm going to figure out what the shape of a pancreas is and just kind of maybe maybe get it right. But then at the end, all the organs go and have a picnic together. But it's still inside of a body. So like, there's like a picnic blanket with fried chicken on it. But it, it's clearly surrounded by blood. They might get confused. About what? About how the inside of your body works. What do you mean? There's picnics t- going on inside my body all the time. I take that back. You're right. It's a perfect idea for kids. That's why I put chicken in my mouth full pieces and I swallow it so that they can have fun. (laughs) One of the things that cartoons have always disappointed me in is that drumsticks look so much more delicious in a cartoon. Yeah. Because it just comes clean off the Mm -hmm. bone and it's just nothing but pure meat. Also, uh, the way they eat corn in cartoons with that like Mm -hmm. typewriter. And then, like, none of it gets stuck in their teeth. Or where they build up a Dagwood sandwich and then eat it all in one oh. bite. Oh, it looks so good. What's he, the what's the a fictional thing you'd love to eat, <laughs> Matt McGregor? <laughs> like, do you, have you ever wanted to try a can of Slurm from Futurama or maybe a Krusty Burger from The Simpsons? I don't know. I'm doing only Matt Groening foods. I guess I'd like to be able to crush a can of spinach and eat it all in one That's gulp after it flies choice. through the air. And he makes that look delicious, too. Yeah, he does. He makes it look like a delicious meal. I've always wondered, did uh, were the Fleischmans involved with, like, like did their dad own a canned spinach factory? And he's like, ah, I'm losing it, boys. I'm losing <laughs> it all. And they're like, well, let's make a little animated uh, character who loves spinach. And then it just gets away from them at one point. Is it where like, they're like cream spinach or something? It's it's like a processed spinach, right? It's not the, just the leaves. Yeah. So he it's uh, well, canned spinach on its own is is like processed. So it's wet. It's like right. been cooked okay. already. Um, and so it looks like cream spinach some of it, but it, it keeps a gelatinous form. So that's why it's able to go up and then arc. Yeah. Into or or like mouth. sometimes he'll suck it in through the pipe if yep. he needs to. Like if, like he's like oh, yeah. the, the very last instance of it. It must have been fun to work in that studio where 
somebody was just like, all right, so today we got to come up with a way for Popeye to eat the spinach. How is that going to happen? And then what what's going to indicate that he's his muscles are growing? Is it going to be a tattoo? Uh, you know, is it going to be an atomic blast sound? What is going to make Popeye go full postal on Bluto in this? Also, they were really into olive oil, and like, there's nothing to that lady. And she's always getting herself into jams and situations. <laughs> no wonder Shelley Duvall did such a good job playing her in the Robert Altman Popeye movie. I love that movie. <laughs> Me too. The movie, people crap on that movie all the time, but I think it's almost a perfect like cartoon movie. It's exactly what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, was it Bob Moffat or David Moffat? I can't remember. He plays the tax collector in that movie. Mm-hmm. And then he's, he's a character actor. He's been in a ton of other things. He just recently passed away, and I felt bad because I was like, I thought he died like 10 years ago. I feel bad. <laughs> you ever have that happen to you guys with celebrities where you're like, they're still alive? Yeah. I feel like, is is John Madden still alive? I don't know. I just had that the other day. Like I saw one of those mm. clickbaity ads of like, guess what John Madden's net worth is? And I thought, does he have a net worth if he's still alive? If he's if he's not alive? Mm. I can't tell. They're still making Madden video games, but yeah. I don't know. My guess is yes. He's just not doing any sports announcing. He's yeah. just Scrooge McDucking it. He's just sitting on a large pile of gold coins. I would hate it if John Madden had a fate where he's like been suffering from dementia for years and he's just kind of been, you know, kept safe and warm and no one knows this and his legions of fans because every year I think about making a turducken because of his love of the turducken. Oh, the way he'd take you on a tour of that meat. <laughs> oh, it was amazing. That Thanksgiving in the NFL. You're into fantasy football too, aren't you? I just got into fantasy football. Yep. How's how's it going so far? Uh, well, it's over, so it's kind of like that last mo. Like I don't know what I'm gonna do until next year. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but I did win. I won the league. Congratulations! Yeah. Did you, was there some money on that? Uh, yeah, we all put ten dollars in. So hmm. you're gonna declare that to the United States Re- Revenue Service? Doesn't Absolutely have to. not. It's under a certain it's amount. Gambling winnings under a certain amount, though. Not for gambling winnings. You're supposed to declare your gambling <laughs> winnings. That is, uh, what is that? That is, um, it's a, uh, oh, I wish I could go on. Do you also get to declare your gambling losses? Because I feel you like do. I've yep. lost more. You do. Yep. Okay, you do. then I don't need to you declare do. anything. Yeah. So, yeah, he's not. <laughs> I'm a wash. It, it evens I'm a wash. Out. Knowing, knowing Matt's gambling style, he is not <laughs> in the black. Oh, really? <laughs> not even close. <laughs> but it's not that bad. Like, but it's we, not like. We, we bet a dollar here, a dollar there. Right. Ten dollars on an entire mm-hmm. fantasy football season. Who's so, the oh. best poker player there now? Um, well, it's Baker Dot. It's still Baker Dot. Yeah. Well, who's the if, second best then? Is it Jared? Has he won anything yet? Uh, he won something with an asterisk. It wasn't the full crew. Still, okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, because when I was there, we would. I mean, they still do these like turbos where you put in like a dollar and you play a quick tournament. And the biggest poker shit talker in the whole office like never won ever. But he would make it to like second or third sometimes. Yeah, well, uh, quite often. Quite often. Will. Um, it's like uh, the episode of Downton Abbey where uh, where uh, that one guy is always talking about how much he loves it, loves cricket, and then on when they play the game of cricket, he just duffs it so big. Remember that episode? You guys watch that one? <laughs> uh, yeah, just like that. Mr. Mosley. <laughs> you could literally name. make up any scenario right now, and we'd have to buy into the idea that that happened on Downton Abbey. Oh, really? Yeah. So I had an idea for a, a workout called Downton Flabby, where you just eat uh, and you have the life of a servant, 
and then you use, <laughs> lose weight <laughs> because you don't so get to eat the you're good foreign, food. Foreign, you right. just serve other people. Yeah. So, uh, and on that, let's wrap this one up. Uh, Matt McGregor, thank you for being a guest on JJ Meets World. Thanks for having me. Do you have anything out in the internets where people could find something that you've made or if they want to reach out? Do you have a Twitter handle? Uh, I have a Twitter handle that I don't use very much. Um, I guess you could search for Matt McGregor on YouTube and see some of my older works. Um, A lot of the most embarrassing things are definitely on there, so... If that's what you're interested in, yeah, definitely go check that out. I, we'll post first mill on the uh, JJ Meets World Facebook page. Wonderful. Would you post the poster as well? Because Absolutely. the poster for first mill is. I'm top pretty notch. sure the poster might be part of the thumbnail. We'll we'll find oh, out. Wonderful. We'll find out. Punch cut designed. All right, Matt McGregor. Peace out. Peace out. That's going to wrap it up for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode of JJ Meets World and would like to help us continue to produce two new episodes every week, you can donate to our Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash JJ Meets World and donate today. Even as little as a dollar a month can go a long way. Visit our website at www.jjmeetsworld.com or hit up our social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram all the sites the kids are using these days. If you'd like to stay up to date on new episodes of JJ Meets World, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, YouTube, or wherever you consume the podcast that you love. JJ Meets World is produced every week by Tucker Lucas. You can find out more about Tucker's work by checking out www.moonbasemaria.com. If you want to get in touch with your host with the most, go to linebenders.com, and you can find direct contact info for JJ. I was thinking about starting a, a poker TV show, but it's about people learning to play poker. And I wonder how many episodes I could get through before someone says, like, listen, I think that Dave Foley has got better things to do than teach a bunch of people how to play poker. 